Hey family, Haley Thomas is a 22-year-old international speaker. She's also a wellness and compassionate activist, a content creator, a writer, and the co-founder of Wellness Tea House, Matcha Thomas. Now, she's a passionate person about promoting health and wellness to a generation who often had to make some difficult choices with little information about how to do it. It's a joy to present her to you, Haley Thomas. Haley, life happens so quickly today, and we live in a world that's filled with instant information and connectivity, yet many of us, especially younger generations, have to navigate through a lot of garbage in order to find kernels of whole information. Now, you founded your nonprofit, HAPPY, and that's an acronym for Healthy, Active, Positive, Purposeful, and Youth. Got it right? Yes, yes. <laughs> you found it happy when you were 12 years old and you wanted to redefine youth empowerment through free holistic wellness education, as well as plant-based nutrition for at-risk communities. How did you have the awareness to even think about doing this, let alone the knowledge of how to do it? Yes, well, I think it roots back into really my story and, and how I got started in, in the wellness space. Um, my dad, when I was around eight years old, he was diagnosed with type two diabetes and um, coming from a Jamaican family, we love food, we love cooking. Um, but I think oftentimes with traditional foods, you know, we're not necessarily paying attention to the vegetable intake or, or things like that and just kind of following um, what has been passed on, you know, within generations. And so, when my dad was diagnosed, really, my mom spearheaded us kind of looking into alternatives for the medication he was prescribed because it had just like ridiculous side effects, um, internal bleeding, um, nausea, death, like these were things that we weren't willing to risk for him. And so my mom, my parents are both very curious people. And so I think that has been a quality that has really strengthened my own endeavors over the years. Um, so my mom was like, there's got to be an alternative. And that's when we started looking into food. And so she really included me and my little sister in learning about the food industry, factory farming, uh, genetically modified ingredients, um, reading food labels, all of these things became this like toolkit for me. Um, when I went out into the world and decided how I was going to nourish myself. And so with this foundation of seeing how um, food information, nutrition education empowered me. I, you know, would go to school and see like my friends, they don't know what they're putting into their bodies. And I feel as though it's our birthright to be informed of how we're taking care of ourselves and to at least make an informed decision. And so that's what really inspired me to start going into my community, um, doing just like cooking demos. This was all just based on my like personal experience cooking with my mom and from there, it just really began to, to grow um, in such an unexpected way. And it's unbelievable and, and such a, a special thing to be sitting here today after, you know, something that was so personal, such a personal event with my family and getting to share that love for my dad and for wellness with thousands of people around the world. 
as I'm talking with you, I'm sitting here in the South, the Southern United States, and uh, we're known for a certain type of cuisine regionally. And then locally, that cuisine can often change as well. One of the things that I notice is that there's a consciousness here today that wasn't uh, there, say, 20, 30, 40 years ago. When I was growing up, we naturally ate because we grew the food that we ate. We couldn't afford to shop for it. Today, growing food is quite a luxury in and of itself. You're addressing a young community. I think your message is good for all of us. In particular, though, that young community you're addressing tends to give a lot of focus to social media, where how one looks is often more prized than how one is actually feeling or living. So you've got an added hurdle of social media. You've tended to take that as a power wand, though. You talk about your toolkit. You utilize that not as an enemy, but as a friend to your messaging, don't you? Yeah, um, I would say that I think, of course, social media, there are so many benefits and, of course, so many drawbacks. And this is also a big part of my um, my work and my message is just to, for mindfulness to accompany us wherever we go in life. Um, and that's something that I'm actively and continuously learning. So I'm not at all an expert, but I feel as though, you know, through our lived experiences, we can see that when we're intentional about how we engage with social media, how that drastically changes how we feel um, after, you know, scrolling through or, you know, depending on who we choose to follow and the, the messaging and influences that we let in. And so um, a big part of my work is also helping people understand that our, the best form of empowerment um, can also be that discernment and that self-care and self-love that guides the decisions that we make. And um, it's very much intertwined with food and wellness. And it's, it's far more holistic than I think my work initially started off as. Um, when I came across these obstacles, such as social media or mental health and um, burnout, this kind of cycle of overworking that many of us find ourselves in, I realized that I, I wanted to broaden um, what I was talking about and, and the advocacy work I was doing because I feel like whole human wellness is so important and it doesn't, you know, start and end at food and exercise. It really expands into our relationships, our communities, the ways we're engaging with online spaces. And um, it's it's always like a pendulum swing, right? And I think it's finding that balance um, or at least trying and applauding ourselves for having that intention of, of care can be really helpful. So I think with social media, um, I've been trying to use it as a tool of like, dismantling these ideas about um, our bodies, our wellness that have been rooted in ego in a lot of ways and um, seeking, you know, external acceptance and things like that, um, which of course like, is quite the challenge, especially, you know, depending on how we've been raised and things like that. But I find that that empowerment is always going to come from within. And I think giving people the tools or the language or the context to be able to empower themselves is, um, really special, and I hope that my work is able to do that. It, you, you, your work is immaculate. I, I, I really enjoy knowing you and learning about you. And one of the things I learned is that in 2017, you became the youngest graduate from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition as a certified integrative nutrition health coach. Now, you were 16 years old then, and then in 2020, at age 19, you published your debut self-help cookbook, Living Lively. 
with HarperCollins. That must have been thrilling. <laughs> How intentional were you in your messaging to good food and what was the whole experience like for you? Yes, uh, well, I've always, always dreamed of being an author. Um, even when I was way, way younger, I would like write stories and just, I, I knew I wanted to publish something like that. And I think books are so, so dear to me because they, you know, are kind of timeless in a way. They don't necessarily um, like lend themselves to trends. They will exist for a long time. At least that's what I hope. And so um, in, you know, the ideation for Living Lively, I was thinking what I want my debut book to be is just something that represents the scope of um, what I'm passionate about. And if there was one message that I could share with people, um, it was really this idea of nourishing your potential and nurturing um, who you can be, what you can accomplish, but also how you feel in your body, in your mind, in your soul. And um, Living Lively is quite unique in the sense that it combines, you know, 80 plant-based recipes, but also like a whole other portion of the book that includes journaling prompts for self-reflection and um, in encouraging people to explore how they can engage in their communities, how they can be more mindful on social media, um, the ways in which their relationships shape how they feel and um, how they can cultivate a healthier one with themselves as well. And so I think it's, again, this holistic pie is what I really love um, presenting and sharing about because there are so many interconnected um, parts of our well-being. I mean, almost every element of our lives, every element of our lives really, it, it contributes to how well we feel. And, and I wanted to create like an introductory kind of book like that um, for my peers, but also for people who may not have had the capacity to lean into self-care until you know later years in their lives. I, I know there are so many sacrifices that people make for their family, for their um, you know stability and in, in home life, and oftentimes that sacrifice is our, ourselves and our and our wellness. And so it's really just like a, a gentle invitation for people to think about how they can really engage in their their health um, with an aura of love instead of um, restriction or self-hate or, or doubt, but really just something that feels like a journey that we're embarking on and continuously exploring. Well, the, you, you, you get, get us straight now. Was the reversal of your father's type two diabetes tied to the food changes he made? Or how do you justify that into the conversation about food and health overall as you're teaching uh, in particular young people, because there are a lot of cases of youths having diabetes, aren't there? Yes, yes, yes. So for my dad, we were able to completely reverse his condition without the use of medication. Um, so it was just changing our diet and lifestyle. Um, he was always a pretty active person, like playing soccer, but really it was the diet portion. And so we were like primarily plant-based by um, just really eliminating like refined sugars and uh, complex carbs, things like that. We were, I mean, simple carbs, we were really cutting out like white rice and pastas, which were really prominent in our diet for a while. Um, red meat, we had reduced that and we're just doing like fish and vegetables. And so about a year or so of like consistently um, eating that way, we were able to completely reverse his condition. And so I think to me, it was such an illumination of, um, 
the power, the healing power and potential of our bodies, that it, it always wants to return to health. And it's just if we give our bodies that extra support and nudge, um, really incredible, like miracles can happen when we are allowing our bodies to flourish and thrive by creating the right environment for it. And so when I saw that firsthand, I was like, there are so many people who don't even know that food and wellness are, are options for them. They think that they need to be indebted to this medication for the rest of their lives. And while of course, you know, health is very personal and so it, it depends case by case, um, I think that doctors and, and wellness professionals should always be, you know, assessing lifestyle and food and environment as well. There are so many uh, contributors to stress in the body, which creates inflammation or imbalances. And so, um, I think it was really just empowering to me to see this, what comes from the earth is here to, to nourish and heal us. And um, I wanted to be able to spread that message. How, how are you competing that though with conversations like best burgers on earth, yeah. um, ribs, 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 but which usually means sauces, sauces, mm -hmm. sauces. I mean, everything that we've come to love and not just the American diet, but I mean, internationally, where, you know, whether it's preservative originated around sugars or, 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 or just loaded with carbs, all of these things that we grew up loving, we call comfort food. How are you justifying that you can give us that type of fun by following your thoughts and your coaching on nutrition? Mm -hmm. I mean, for sure, all of the delicious comfort foods have appeal. They have... Um, we have memories with them, they're comforting to us. Uh, they root us into our cultures and traditions. And so my messaging is is never, oh, just cut everything out and you know leave behind these things that you cherish. But again, going back to mindfulness, if you have the information, then you can make a choice for yourself. And I, I don't believe in forcing any ideology on anyone, but just providing the opportunity to share and um, for someone to lean into a different perspective and be able to choose for themselves afterwards. And so um, although I can't control what people might do with the information that they receive from my book or one of my talks, uh, a big piece for me is also making wellness appealing and if not equally delicious, um, delicious <laughs> in its own in its own right and um, a different experience, not trying to imitate you know, what is set in stone as, you know, saucy, delicious, um, but really creating an appeal and magnetism of, of wellness. And so that's something that I've been working on a lot, actually, with one of my new projects that I started back in 2021. I opened up a wellness tea house um, in upstate New York called Matcha Thomas. And so we're really all about providing like healing wellness teas, um, plant-based and gluten-free like treats for people using unrefined sugars, so just like maple or coconut sugar. And the entire experience is about making wellness attractive and uh, something that people are addicted to in a way, right? Like feeling good becomes the new standard. And I think the more that we have these experiences of elevated wellness that are accessible to people, the more that um, it will become something that we can see as a part of our daily lives, not as a luxury, but as something that genuinely- Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think certainly, and forgive me for cutting you off. Did you complete your thought? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> certainly there are uh, 
many opportunities for a lot of people to benefit from how you're teaching, how you're coaching about nutrition. You're aware, I'm sure, uh, as well, that there are lots, especially when you're talking to youth, of youth in the U.S. alone. You have an international following, but in the U.S. alone, think about all the young people who live in food deserts or who don't have access to uh, order food and items that could be available to them through outlets like Amazon and others, uh, Whole Foods, who are delivering foods to them. How, share some nutritional tips for our listeners who are working with communities like this. Many of the women I know and many of the people who I integrate with through organizations are reaching into these communities and uh, accessibility and availability are critical for them. How do they integrate your coaching into their nutritional lifestyles? Yes, um, I'm very aware and sensitive to the variety of levels of accessibility with food. And it's it's so disheartening, again, because a lot of these barriers to well-being are systemic and, um, you know, quite large and in scale. And um, it's overwhelming for a lot of people who, you know, do nonprofit work or advocacy work. Um, and so oftentimes the best solutions that we can provide is, okay, you know, you're in a food desert, the closest you know store to you is like a, a gas station or, or a corner store what can you do there and um, oftentimes what's recommended is like if you can get canned vegetables um, frozen foods those are always better alternatives than let's say you know um, chips with you know yellow 40 or or even if you do buy those um, products right reading food labels is a really great way to understand, okay, what's the like lesser of two evils here? And just deciding to pick the cleaner label if there one, is one available. And I think it's it definitely feels frustrating to not have like a, a plethora of solutions to this issue. Although there are so many organizations, nonprofits that are working on, you know, bringing in produce and setting up farmers markets for these communities, you know, markets that accept um, food stamps and, and EBT and um, organizations that are doing urban gardening and farming and bringing in the community. And so I've greatly appreciated um, those resources popping up made by the community for the community. Haley, many of our young people today are living in food deserts and so many folk I know who are working with these communities are disheartened by what they see as options for nutritional uh, opportunities for kids. So I'm gonna just give you an opportunity right now that if I frame you up, what's your TikTok message to those communities of youth about how they can make better nutritional choices for themselves, regardless of what they see around them or where they're living? I think the best thing that we can do, um, you know, if we're in areas in which accessing fresh food is, is not available, um, so maybe it's a corner store or a gas station, the best thing we can do is firstly, being aware of the food labels and trying to pick the lesser of two evils. So essentially looking for the shorter um, ingredients list on you know, packaged foods, avoiding colors, um, artificial colors, additives, um, preservatives, if you can, that have like very um, long like chemical names, if you can find just cleaner things that you can point to that are like natural from the earth. 
Um, another thing is, you know, canned vegetables, canned beans, um, other legumes as well. These are typically like the options for, for healthier items in, in, you know, food deserts and frozen foods as well. Um, frozen fruits, vegetables, sometimes grains are available. Um, choosing brown rice if possible. These are some of the options and it varies, of course, where you live. But I think it's it's extremely disheartening to have a very kind of small um, pool of things that you can reach into for, for nourishing yourself. And so um, that's why I'm definitely extremely grateful for the community leaders and organizations that are tackling this by you know, bringing farmers markets into communities, um, setting up urban gardening and um, bringing in kids and having them a part of that process of growing and learning you know where their food comes from and, and how it grows and the ways that it fuels their bodies and ultimately their potential to do really great things in life and i think um it's such a multi-layered issue it's systemic um it's something that often you know isn't even anything that people living in food deserts even have the capacity to really tackle, right? And so um, it's finding ways to really empower the community to bring in that support system, whether there are passionate leaders in the community or, or nearby. There are so many incredible um, nonprofits that are doing really great work. Um, one locally for me in New York is Harlem Grown, and they've been doing excellent work of really teaching kids, empowering them through food education, having them hands-on in the garden, learning, you know, about kale and lettuce and carrots and all these food items that, you know, we would think is um, basic foods, but they've never seen them before in, in, in real life and um, never engaged with them and, and have witnessed something grow from a seed and, and blossom into this really beautiful and, and nourishing plant. And so I think it's how can we give people access to education, of course, to the, the physical food, um, but also to a safe space to learn about food and nutrition. I think there can easily be so much dogma and um, stigma infused into the wellness um, movement. And I think many people just need to feel as though it's accessible and that they can modify their you know, cultural or communal dishes and allow them to still be delicious and um, and to infuse joy and creativity into that process as well. And, you know, in no way am I saying it's easy or has been easy um, getting into these communities and, and making these changes. But I think that there's also room for bringing in that, that love and care that we need as well as we you know, work to remedy these issues. I know that one of the things you shared with me is your belief that is uh, critical when bringing uh, farmers markets to these places, that food markets aren't the only places uh, accepting food stamps, but the farmers markets do as well. You are influential in having a voice uh, to promote plant-based diets. What benefits do you believe are coming with adopting vegan or vegetarian lifestyle. You say that you're not looking to make it so critical that people do abrupt changes, but that they integrate stepped changes and learn to appreciate not only the value in wellness, but the taste of the foods and the experience, the emotional relationship they have to foods will change. So how do you address those misconceptions around dietary choices? Absolutely. Um... I believe that 
if we approach, you know, our lifestyle changes with gentleness and um, assessing how our bodies feel as we make those changes, then we'll really get to know our own personal blueprint. I think that um, diet is, of course, an incredibly sensitive topic. And um, especially for like vegan and vegetarian, many people, you know, don't want to give up what they've grown up with, um, you know, the animal products that they have. Um, and so I think the main thing is, of course, finding ways to let people experience the, the goodness of plant-based foods, even if it's not 100% of your diet, um, adopting, you know, really wonderful recipes that uh, light you up and make you happy. You know, I don't want someone to just eat like this bland bowl of like lettuce with <laughs> carrots on it, right? Just because it's healthy. I, in a way, would say that it wouldn't really do anything for you if you were dreading it or, or weren't, weren't enjoying the experience. I think oh, that- Okay, 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 okay. Joy so, is so important. Let, let's do this, Haley. Okay, so I'm going to call out some foods that are veggies. Uh -huh. You've written a cookbook. You tell me, how do I make that veggie something that uh, that is a wow or something that is a wonk, okay? <laughs> I'm going to call them out. Let's okay. start with the one you just mentioned, carrots. Carrots. Okay. okay. Love... How do I make it a wow if oh, I'm going to wow. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would say you can roast the carrots with some cumin and a little bit of um, honey or maple, and that mm -hmm. will give it like this deep kind of smoky sweetness. Um, that's really nice. And you could add like parsley on top if you'd like. Um, roasted carrots are always my go-to. And a wonk would probably be if you just boiled it. Or um, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's probably one of the worst things you can do to a carrot is boil it. Okay, so here's one that even a lot of adults who are well-educated about their nutrition tend to go wonk. Kale, wow yeah. it, wonk it. Yes. So the big thing with kale is in order to just get even a desirable texture, you want to make sure you're massaging it. Um, and so you would just add like, let's say some olive oil and a little bit of lemon juice and just get in there and, and knead it. And that will, you know, break down the fibers and make it easier to chew and, and digest as well. Um, but after that, I love making like kale Caesar salad. So to do that plant-based, you can make like a creamy cashew dressing. Um, so you would soak some cashews and then blend it with garlic and onion and other spices. You could add in um, nutritional yeast, which is like this really B12 packed um, powder, yes. And mm -hmm. that also has like a kind of cheesy taste. And then you can add in like pine nuts or, or whatever else you'd like, make your own croutons. And that's like a super simple go-to for enjoying kale. At least for me, oh, I feel like oh. if you have like a good creamy dressing, you can't go wrong. What about beets? Oh, beets. Honestly, me and beets have been had a, a little bit of a challenge um, over the years, but recently I've started really enjoying them pickled. Um, so you can actually, I mean, some places they have them pre-pickled, but when you buy it, you know, from the store, of course, there's a risk of there like being added sugars and things. And so you can do quick pickles um, with the beets, but essentially, you know, it's like vinegar, add in a little bit of, let's say you could add maple or coconut sugar or whatever you'd like some salt and then um, basically just have that sit in that brine for like overnight for a quick pickle and I love like tangy foods so having the pickled beets with some parsley and like a little bit of toast 
and avocado. That's been my go-to recently. Um, roasted beets are also really, really nice. I, and even, even when I'm in California, um, I can't get myself to love avocado. So I won't ask yeah. you about avocado, but okay. there is one veggie I got to ask you about mm -hmm. because people from my neck of the woods who grew up in Carolina, as I did, and I think now internationally are familiar with collard greens. Yes. And when we grew up, collard greens had as much meat as it did green in it. Mm -hmm. What about collard greens? Yes. So my mom, she actually makes this really wonderful um, yeah, I guess it's like a greens stew with collard greens. We call it beans and greens. And so she just has like all the collards, cooks them down with onions and garlic. And then um, she adds in like any kind of beans. So you can do kidney beans. Um, you could add in like white beans. She'll add that in with it. And then you can add um, more like if you want nutritional yeast or like a plant-based cheese or cheese if you'd like. Um, and with all of that together, it just cooks down into like the most comforting, delicious, like rich dish. And it's one of my like all-time favorites. That's a really wonderful way to use collards. You could also swap it out for kale or do both. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good replacement for colored greens. Well, we're sharing with our family your cookbook. I don't know if any of these items are in there, but just to make sure they get the name of the cookbook while we're talking, why don't you share that right away? Yes, my cookbook is called Living Lively, and it features 80 plant-based recipes to fuel your potential and and to nourish your body mind and soul and um it's a very like experiential book and it'll it'll be a journey you can use it just as a cookbook solely or or lean into um other parts of the book and also i wanted to mention i think what i admire so much about your work um is how much it's rooted in community building and, and uplifting women, especially. And so um, in the book, it also features the stories of a few of my peers and friends who are doing really incredible things in the world. And they share some of their experiences and insights on how they've you know, been living lively um, in their own lives and how that's supported them in showing up in these really wonderful ways in the world. So um, it's also just very inspiring to, to lean into their stories as well. Community is so important and that we're working hard to create communities versus to nurture the ones we've grown up in is a statement about where we are today. One of the things that we look at today is not just food health, but mental health. All of it are crucial aspects of overall wellness. How are you incorporating mental well-being into your work with young individuals? And I really love you right now to tell us what advice you do give to young people struggling with mental health challenges. Yes. Um, you know, for, for so long, because I, I started my work when I was around like 10 or so, you know, I didn't have the capacity to understand the importance of, of mental health. Um, and after, you know, spending such a large portion of my childhood working and traveling and, and, and speaking and, and doing all these things, I quickly realized that there was an entire part of my being that I was not taking care of, taking care of um, my mental wellness and just how um, settled I, I felt in my in my spirit, right? And so, um, mental health has become such a prominent part of my advocacy now, and 
and what I integrate into um, everything that I create. And so for many people, our mental health is a scary kind of topic. It's something that we want to avoid reaching into because it's deeply tied into our emotional well-being and um, how we've been raised to process difficult um, moments and experiences in our lives and the feedback that we receive from you know the people around us, how they've spoken to us often becomes our own internal language. And so um, a major piece of advice or a tool that I always recommend is journaling. And so um, a journaling or self-reflection practice of some sort is something that I am extremely passionate about because I feel as though, you know, we're kind of like moving around the world in the dark if we aren't able to reach inside of ourselves and understand what we're feeling, but also witness what we're feeling from a place of compassion. And I think for many of kids in my generation, but also in, in generations, you know, older than us as well, there has been this kind of, this instillment of resilience that sacrifices um, self-love and it's resilience that beats down on us and makes us feel as though maybe we're not good enough or we aren't capable, um, that we can never meet certain expectations. But I think what self-reflection does is it allows us to or gives us the opportunity to dismantle a lot of these beliefs that have just been projected onto us, these expectations that have been projected onto us and allow us to say, okay, what do I actually believe? What do I actually want? How do I want to feel living in, in my body, living my life? Do I want to feel as though I can give myself the grace to tumble and to get back up again and to um, you know, look at these ideas of failure, not as something of detriment to who I am, but just as a stepping stone and a part of learning. And I think that is so freeing um, when we are able to accept ourselves wholeheartedly. And I think a lot of mental distress, emotional distress comes from this rejection of just who we are at our core, um, what we feel and, and not wanting to lean into those things. And of course, there are a variety of, of mental illnesses and challenges that we can face. And so I'm always recommending you know, seeking a professional if that's what's needed. Um, if you feel as though you can't you know, lean on those tools on your own or need a support system. And sometimes a support system may look like you know, a professional or it could look like community, um, people that you trust and feel as though you can talk to. Um, but for me, I've really found writing and and moving through my experiences it kind of pulls you into like this third person perspective and you're able to cradle yourself in, in more love and it's definitely a process um and I feel as though I'm, I'm just now understanding what it means to to give myself um, wholehearted acceptance and patience as I just move through life and there's so many things change within and around me and um, finding ways to each time show up more more gently and, and with more kindness um, towards myself. And so I'd say journaling practice, you can just start with like, how am I feeling today? And if nothing is coming up, then you can say, okay, how do I feel about not knowing how I feel or why, what could be the barriers to understanding how I feel? And I think there are always, it's like this process of curiosity as well. And um, that's like my number one recommendation.
I love that so much. And, you know, uh, journaling, when I was a little girl, people used to keep diaries. Mm -hmm. uh, journaling is, is, is so helpful. It helps on a lot of levels. Today, a lot of young people are using their, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, the good of it. Today, a lot of young people, though, Haley, are using their social media as a way of journaling. How do you advise them around the care of that? As you speak to journaling, I intake that it is something that allows you in a personal and safe space to explore openly without threats or the implications of doing that in a very public, uncontrolled platform. Um, are, you, are you talking at all about that in line with mental uh, wellness? Um, I think I know you yourself said you're not really into it in a deep way that way. Mm. Um, I think I, I use my platforms as sort of a, a diary or a journal in a way. Um, I think if that is your intention to share your your journey and your experiences and the insights that you've gained, I think it can be a really beautiful thing when you share your experiences and see so many others um, also relating to and resonating with what you're moving through. I think it's incredibly uh, grounding because it reminds you that we're all human beings just trying to like figure everything out. And I think that's a reminder that um, often helps me move through, you know. It requires a lot of trust too though, doesn't it? Because you're sharing it out into a space that some love may come back and some love may not come back, but you don't know where it's gone, huh? Yes, yes. And I've, I've definitely had my fair share of hate comments and, uh, <laughs> you know, people misinterpreting, you know, maybe what I said or interpreting it in just a different way. Maybe it wasn't. And how do you manage that? How do you manage that? For a long time, it bothered me a lot. Um, and I, I felt really upset and I wanted to defend myself. Um, but in, in recent years, I realized that if I'm proud of what I'm sharing and I feel as though it's representative of who I am, there's nothing that I should be ashamed of unless I am directly like harming someone, then of course, if I'm like corrected, um, then I would need to acknowledge that. But I think realizing that I am not ashamed of my vulnerability, even if maybe it comes off as like strange or awkward or cringy or, or whatever to someone else, um, I have to honor my experience. And so it's been a process of decentering the external validation um, that has been center stage in my life for so long, but also for many of us, you know, we do things um, for acceptance and approval and to feel uh, as though we're doing things right. Um, but I realized that I really need to become my own guiding force and my own validator. And um, although that's been a process and I've spent many <laughs> nights crying about something that someone said or, you know, mean comments. Um, I think this is also reflective of how helpful um, cultivating a healthy relationship with myself has been because it's allowed me to to feel that way. 
You, you, you said something, you talked about uh, feeling ashamed and many people, many people in the mental health space are working with individuals at all levels of success, at all ages, across many disciplines, on the power of shaming. Uh, and in order to be ashamed, there has to be some element of shaming that has occurred or been self-inflicted. Um, when we talk about food wellness, nutritional wellness, and we talk about the things that help young people as well as people mature like me uh, to live our best lives, oftentimes we forget about the power of one's physical appearance to how shaming can start to penetrate and get deeper and become that circle. Are you seeing any of that with the young people you're working with um, in terms of how food to mental, food to mental creates a circle of power or creates a circle of, you know, basically whirling out of? Um, I think that, you know, shaming in of itself is at least how I've seen it. It often is kind of born from a lot of insecurity or um, this fear of the unknown and um, not knowing, maybe like feeling inferior in some kind of way. Um, it's a lot of the, when we are shamed, I feel that it's such a reflection of the person sh shaming um, and where they are in their lives. And of course, that's nothing to like look down upon, but I think it's always really helpful to remember that hate or vitriol of, of any kind has a lot more to do with the person, you know, sending that than the one who's receiving it oftentimes. And although that's really difficult when you're in the middle of re receiving that, I think it's a helpful reminder and something that often makes me feel um, more compassion for humanity as a whole, because I remember it's really, it is a challenge to be a human being, to experience the spectrum of pain and, and disappointment and challenge um, that we do, but also there are healthier ways to navigate that. And so um, a big connection that I've seen between, you know, wellness shaming and mental health shaming, it's kind of this disregard for our sensitivities, right? Our bodies are incredibly sensitive, um, which is its strength and superpower. Um, we're all incredibly unique in design and um, in genetics and function, we all, you know, have this uniqueness, this sensitivity that I think should be honored and respected rather than, you know, squeeze through this pipeline of, of standards and normals when there's this wholeness that can be um, so beautiful when we lean into it and, and embrace it. And so um, how I, do we tap into how do we tap into that though it within mm -hmm. uh with a community youth service which is young people you know yeah. I, I i just left los angeles where i had a quite engaging visit with one of my clients and during the course of conversation uh we talked about what we'd done over covid and one of the things that i shared was that my son had uh, on several occasions offered to teach me to swim. Now mm. I own several homes and each home has a swimming pool or a swimming hole attached to it, a pond or a pool. And 
I don't swim. And so he asked me, well, why not? And I said, because we were talking, he'd asked the question about bucket lists. You're familiar with bucket lists, mm-hmm. right, Haley? And so I said, on my bucket list is to learn to swim. And over COVID, I had great opportunity uh, to that because in, you know, driving into our family home, there's a pool there. My son had offered to teach me to swim. Well, Haley, when he asked why I didn't swim, I, it's, it's something I've shared before and it really touched me differently in that moment because I had to share that I grew up in the deep South. There was a community swimming pool where during the summertime for several weeks, it would be open and we could all go down and learn to swim. As a matter of fact, I have a sister who was the lifeguard. I never learned to swim as one of 11 children uh, six girls, five boys. I was the one who got what we call the nappy hair. And you're familiar with that term, nappy hair, right? Now it's loved and everybody wants it and people try to get it or they buy wigs and you know pieces to insert to uh, have that look. I had it naturally and did not like it. And you'd be teased, you know, oh, nappy head, nappy head. And so I didn't learn to swim because I didn't want that long walk home from the public swimming pool to my house with my hair messed up, Mm -hmm. messed up, right? Um, And I carry that type of shame about my hair throughout my life because my five sisters were all beautiful women with what we call good hair, you Mm -hmm. know, hair that was naturally straight or softly curly. And um, I just, I, I carried that burden. For a long time, I never learned to love my hair. I remember when Whoopi Goldberg did her comedic skit. I don't know if you've ever seen it, where she puts on the white shirt, the white blouse, and it's her long blonde hair. She imagined herself. If you haven't seen it, ask your mom to help you find it or you you uh, you search it up. It speaks my truth. And so I carried that kind of shame with me. What I'm saying is that There are ways that we carry shame that impact us that can be debilitating. Fast forward, I now own a home in Southern California. I had a neighbor who had been an Olympic champion for her country in Korea, and she had a baby. I taught her so much about how to care for a child, you know, in a Western way. Mm -hmm. And uh, as our children were learning to swim in my pool at home, she'd bring her daughter over to learn to swim. And one day she said, you know, I'm an Olympic champion, but I never learned to swim. I want to learn to swim. Do you know I still carry the shame as a parent that I had carried as a young child around my hair that I didn't want to get in the pool with this beautiful Olympian from Korea as she learned to swim in my swimming pool and I didn't take advantage of it because of shame. So I guess I'm sharing with you that it can go deep and it it can occur for many of us in many ways. You've had the opportunity as a speaker to connect with diverse audiences. What are some of the key messages that you're able to convey during your speaking engagements? And are you able to touch into maybe some of their shame or their places of uh, weaknesses to empower young people? Well, I think uh, one of the most powerful tools is vulnerability of like you sharing that story and experience and 
sure so many of us, including myself, can relate to that, um, you know, regarding natural hair. And I'm, I'm so grateful that now there's this embrace of, of our natural hair and, and the varying textures and, and everything, um, because it's it's so valid. But again, acknowledging that we never chose that, right? We didn't choose to have this stigma surrounding natural hair and, um, you know, this perception of it as-, as but Here's a question. Here's a question. Let me ask you this. We didn't choose to have the nappy hair, but given the choice, now, would we choose to get the nappy hair? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it varies from person to person. Um, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's just knowing where that choice is, is rooted from. If it's rooted from rejection of our, our natural selves or if it's genuinely a preference to something else, maybe it's easier because sometimes I feel that way. You know, it takes me like hours to do my hair. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be easier? But I still love it. And I, I feel that, you know, um, it's, it holds so much of my ancestry and of my own uniqueness, but shared uniqueness, right? And so I think that's really beautiful. Um, and so I and think- you certainly get a lot of style opportunities, don't you? A lot yeah. more style opportunities. <laughs> yes, for sure. There's a lot of versatility and I think it's, you know, our hair and just our bodies and our natural selves, it's often like, the greatest starting point for embarking on a journey of self-love or reflection, um, because this is, we're who we're gonna live with for the rest of our lives and um, finding ways to soften to those parts of us that maybe we've shut out or shunned, um, whether, you know, self-inflicted or otherwise. Um, it's a challenge, but one that I think is so sweet once, you know, completed and fulfilled, or if there's one less insecurity that you have, but also not adding additional shame to ourselves for feeling ashamed about something. Um, finding ways to say, okay, I acknowledge that I feel this way. And I acknowledge that there are reasons why I feel this way. And so I'm not going to add additional shame. Oh, you shouldn't feel this way about, you know, your natural hair or whatnot. Um, because yeah, our, our stories are so complex, our influences are so complex and, um, you know, they're also, it just, it, our environment is such a key part of, of that experience as well. You know, for me, I grew up in Arizona, so I was, you know, oftentimes the only like black kid in my class or at school, or, you know, it was very hard to have peer-to-peer um, -peer, like relationships like like that or and then on top of that you know my family is Jamaican so like there are basically no Jamaicans where we were living at the time um so I, I definitely felt very disconnected from parts of my, my mom used my mom used to say we all want to be looked up to but nobody wants to be looked at mm. <laughs> how do you get there you know yeah yeah um and so I, I think that experience um you know there are so many things that I've heard that are um, they disregard again I, I think I'm always going to come back to wholeness they disregard the wholeness of who I am and the many puzzle pieces that have built that um you know people say oh like you talk white or you you know you're not black enough or or what I mean you know or whatnot and I think it's like how do we just honor the experience of who we are in our fullness with all of that diversity and all of those varied influences and how do we look at 
what is supporting us in um, feeling empowered, feeling confident, feeling um, capable, and how do we discard what hasn't you know been serving us? So, and 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 we we get to claim our communities, and many of us live in more than one community, and in 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 a time. Uh, in this world, especially where those communities are often digitally uh, created, we have a lot of issue with appropriation and with uh, cancel cultures. And I just love that you're messaging to people not to feel bound by that, not to be burdened by that. You talk about living whole lives. Another part of how we live wholly is to acknowledge climate change. And I think all of us are experiencing that to some degree. Right now you're in New York. And so you're experiencing some of the impact of the fires that are occurring in Canada. I'm sitting in my country home in North Carolina and North Carolina is uh, experiencing some of that as well. Um, Climate change is happening everywhere. Uh, sustainability has become a pressing global issue. Most often, and I think especially these last few weeks, we're thinking of climate change in terms of weather, but we don't make the mental shift of climate change's impact to food. How do you integrate environmental consciousness into your teachings and encourage young people to make eco-friendly choices in how they live? Yes, I, I believe that um, a big piece of why my work centers plant-based eating um, is partially in, in, in part really about um, climate awareness and mindfulness, eating plant-based foods, um, eating locally, supporting local growers and artisans, um, all of those things support those community-based um, you know, food supplies and, and those businesses that are cultivating, you know, the food that will actually, you know, support humanity. And um, I think it's imperative that we remember the interconnection of everything that we do. And so when we choose like a plant-based or mostly plant-based meal, you know, that is directly impacting um, the industries that are being supported and therefore, you know, pushing um, industries in different directions. So, you know, for instance, with like the rise of plant milks, like oat milk or or almond, soy, what, whatever it may be, um, especially, you know, with oat, um, that has taken over. It's become like the kind of the standard now. And so the dairy industry has taken a hit. Um, and so I think it kind of shows how as consumers, we have a lot of power just through what's on our plates and, and what we're consuming. And um, in many ways, it's like our, our vote, right? It's us saying, hey, this is what we want to see more of to support. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's always really important to be mindful of that. But also, you know, when speaking of climate change, I, I think one thing I'm always wondering is like, why, you know, why aren't we more passionate about this? Why? Why do we feel so passive as a collective? You know, I mean, there's only so much that we can do to begin with. Most of, you know, the major climate impacts are coming from these large corporations, um, you know, exploiting the earth and, and its resources. But I also think about like, when, you know, I'm, I'm driving somewhere and I see someone just throw like a, you know, a plastic bottle out the window onto, you know, some brush or, or whatever it may be. And I think what, 
level of disconnection from the earth does it take to be able to do that and to um, engage with the natural world in, in such a separatist way. Um, and so really I'm also just very big on just get outside and form your own relationship with nature. Remember the relationship that you've had since birth um, with the earth, that connection that you hold um, is so sacred. Haley, I love what you're saying there. Very often I'm encouraging people that one of your strongest forms of currency is your vote. And I like that you take it to the next level of speaking to what's on our plate being our vote. Will you please also talk a little bit about how you define success? I think that's really important at this point in our conversation to look at what success means to you. You know, I, I've defined success in many different ways over the years, and I think I've landed on um, success for me being, being present in whatever process that I'm in. I think that I, I feel most successful when I know that I am focused on the process, not necessarily the end result, because I feel as though the process is where we're alchemizing and, and bringing things together and we're our most creative, our most connected. And I, I think that oftentimes it would have been reversed for me that the end product would have marked success. But I think if you're in deep into process, um, and you learn a lot, you receive a lot from that process, whether, you know, the end product is something desirable or not. Um, I think you, that I can say that I feel successful um, in, in the sense that I'm really just absorbing everything that I'm, I'm learning and I'm, and I'm infusing myself into that process. Um, and so that, that has definitely been something that has been guiding me over the past few years is just how can I remain intentional and authentic with the processes that I'm engaging in. And that also includes, you know, for self-care, for health and wellness, for food. It's like, am I trying to get to this end result of like a certain image or body type or, um, you know, this external goal, or am I learning and growing and, and feeling myself get better through this process? Um, and I think it also helps me feel like I have a bit more grace to figure things out as I go and um, to really accept that process. I like that so much. I'll tell you that um, when we, people often say, if I see your friends, I can tell you your values. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about how you've uh, achieved the success you've had thus far, some of that has been through the power of mentorship, I'm sure. And, um, I know that mentorship is critical to personal and professional growth. Who've been some of your mentors or role models? How they've influenced your journey? Yes, I, I feel as though it, it has been challenging over the years to find mentors who um, aren't afraid to really create like these intergenerational connections. And I think there's so much innovation and wisdom that comes from the uh, community formed by several different generations. Um, and so 
because of that, you know, my mentorship pool is a little small, but I'm, I'm so grateful for who I do have. Um, there's a woman, her name is Lisa Mayer, and she's the founder of a Web3 company called Boss Beauties. And she has been a huge inspiration to me over the past, I mean, like 10 plus years that I've known her. Um, and she's all about like empowering young women and girls and allowing them to really see themselves thrive and, and see their dreams beyond the limitations that may have been um, projected onto us. And um, not only does she provide, you know, the stories of other women as role models, but she also um, really leans into these young women and girls seeing themselves as role models, just as they are, and for living, you know, authentically in their truths and um, in their gifts and interests and passions. So I really appreciate and love Lisa so much. Um, she's taught me a lot as I've been building my company, um, Matcha Thomas, and working on um, expanding that and, and finding ways to welcome people into you know, the cafe experience. Um, Lisa Mayer, she's wonderful. There's also a man by the name Gerard Adams. He is an entrepreneur and he's been able to create really incredible company and, and motivational um, speaking is a huge part of his career. And one thing that I really love about him is that he's also kind of leaning into this messaging of holistic leadership and how do we lead from a place of compassion and um, the spiritedness that I think is, is even more inspiring than kind of saying, oh, like, this is how you hustle, but it's more like, how do you find peace as you build a business? How do you um, cultivate intentional relationships and partnerships? And so um, having those two people, um, as well as other like community members who have been really supportive of all of my endeavors, and of course, my family, um, that has been such an anchoring force in my life. And um, even just your own work and your journeys is so inspiring to me. So being able to look up to like individuals like yourself and again, to see you are a, a whole human being, a real person who has done just incredible things, but um, has maintained that authenticity and um, that true like personhood. And so it's wonderful to have examples like that because I've definitely seen, you know, successful people and, and unfortunately they've lost themselves in that path and that process. And so, um, I'm always thinking, okay, how can I look to these leaders um, as people who are modeling, you know, success, but also care and um, a genuine nature with, with everything that they do. And to pay it forward. Yes. Let me ask you this. Overcoming obstacles is a common thing uh, in the pursuit of success. Share a little bit about some significant challenges you faced in your own path. I know you're quite young. Still, you've achieved so much. What have you had to persevere in order to achieve your goals thus far? Um, I would say I've been very lucky to have a lot of support in my life. And I think often most of the challenges, probably up until the past few years, have actually been internal -ish, um, challenges and obstacles for me. Um, and it's it's interesting. I think that I've always, thanks to my parents, like felt like I can do anything. And, and if I'm interested in something that I, I really can see it all the way through. Um, but there were definitely moments in which 
I was so like perfectionistic that it would be incredibly hard on myself and it would make it really challenging for me to complete anything and, and feel satisfied with it or to feel as though I did my best. And so um, that has been an ongoing process of, as I mentioned, like measuring my success by just my effort and, and being there and being present with the process um, rather than the end product. But I would also say, you know, as I alluded to before, I've definitely received some comments in the past um, that have assumed a lot of things of, about me or my background or um, things like that that aren't necessarily true. And so facing comments like that and um, people who are really like demeaning or um, because of my age or, or because of my race and kind of backhanded snide like comments, um, those challenges, I think the best thing that I've been able to do to work through those have been, a, uh, again, to remind myself of what am I doing this for? You know, how does it make me feel? Is this fulfilling to me still? Do I need to change? Do I need to ad adapt, tweak something? Um, and what is the level of connectivity that I can gain from um, the work that I do? And often those benefits outweigh the challenges for sure. Um, over the past few years though, I've been, you know, running like a tea house, a cafe. And so this has been a total like switch of my brain and I'm definitely learning how to be more business minded. And right now I'm like, you know, figuring out how to start my first like angel investment round and um, finding ways to like convince investors to invest in community instead of another tech company or, you know, things like that. How do we invest in nourishment and, um, and, nurturance of peace and, and wellness. And so- By the way, that's very well said. Make sure that's a part of your pitch. That was yes. very well said. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I've been, you know, really like, how do we get um, this next generation of businesses to be um, more compassionate, more mindful, to prioritize, you know, the well-being of individuals and also recognize that wellness doesn't have to be gimmicky anymore. And, and for my business, what I really want to do is just have people remember the peace and nourishment that is their birthright. And um, we're not selling anyone on anything. It's just an invitation to, to wellness. And so um, that has been a learning curve. I'm like managing staff and running <laughs> payroll and all these things. And I've never done that before. You know, a lot of my work um, in the past and just as it's evolved it's been creative but now I feel like I'm maturing into a new role and, and path and offering um for for my work and so again like acknowledging that I have no idea what I'm doing but being willing to jump in and to learn as I go uh, that's how I've been overcoming these challenges and they've been rolling over these past few months for sure um but each time I find myself feeling more capable feeling more resilient in a healthy way. And um, that's really encouraging. And so, you know, that's why for anyone who's pursuing something new or something that they're passionate about, um, I think it, it, acknowledging that yes, there will be challenges, but um, the vision that you see and, and that you feel in, in your heart is that guiding force that's going to be so, um, so, nutritive for you as you as you go on your journey and it's going to be grounding and 
a reminder that you can come back to. And uh, it's also just really fulfilling to see yourself grow and learn and mature in, in the areas that you need to. So um, I've been <laughs> definitely uh, challenged with, with those elements, kind of leaning more into my um, logical and business-minded self, but it's also been really refreshing to be able to bridge the two worlds and to, I think, offer something more concrete when it comes to my work. Because sometimes I think a lot about this, um, social media, it's great, but it's so momentary, it's so temporary. You know, you produce a lot of content, especially for apps like Instagram or TikTok. It's like you catch someone and then that's that's pretty much it and you have to keep on hooking them. Um, but this is why I love books and I love businesses is because they, they're here in, in physical reality. There's something that people have a personal, you know, relationship and connection with, can build that with. and. Um, I really want to build something that impacts people in, in the physical world as well. So, um, yes. I love that so much. And you know, perhaps that uh, segues beautifully into my last question for you today. Um, you've chat, you, you may have given us a little bit of a window to it because I'm really curious looking ahead what you're focused on uh, now that's exciting you the most. What, what's next for Haley? Yes. Um, well, what's next for me is getting my driver's license. I've been working on that. Um, to be quite honest <laughs> and, and realistic, that is something that um, I've been working hard at and um, practicing a lot. So I'm preparing for that. And hopefully by the time this airs, I, I have it. Um, but um, I also, I, I think that I really want to allow myself the space to, to change and to adapt to my interests and, and, and passions. And so um, right now, a big like affirmation I've been telling myself is just that I have time to grow up and to accomplish you know, the things that I, I dream of and that I can take my time with the steps that I'm on at the moment. And um, I would love to write, continue to write books um, continue to experience life and to you know have share reflections on it and, and what I've learned and to hopefully you know be a stepping stone for for people to lean into self-care and wellness um, as for my business watch Thomas I would love to be able to um, scale that and provide peaceful places for people to um, come back to themselves, to connect to their bodies, to find a quiet moment to think and relax or read, study, work. Um, that's really a, a big dream of mine is just to be able to provide these community spaces that are centered around peace and, um, and wellness. And so that's a huge goal. Um, and I'd also just like to remain curious, remain creative and um, continue to learn from life and the people around me. I think there's just so much to learn and so many great conversations to have. And I, I want to ensure that I always remain open to that, remain open to um, learning and, and growing. And I would love to be able to um, continue to evolve my work as I'm kind of like at this, I, I call it an early life crisis, but really it's just like this <laughs> pivotal point, you know, um, I've known myself for so many years through the lens of 
my work and how I'm perceived by, you know, by other people as like an anomaly for so long and, and because of what I was doing and how young I was, but now I'm getting to know myself just as myself and um, to be able to see how that acknowledgement of who I am at my core is actually how I'm going to be able to create my best work. Um, and so that's all very exciting. I'm just <laughs> happy to be here. Happy to It'll be a joy for me to continue to uh, be witness to your journey and to be of help, if I may, in any at any time. Hey, are you ready for four for four? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> okay, Haley, I'm going to ask you four questions to which you'll give me answers. Uh, the first question is: You get to invite anybody you want to dinner from any time in the past to present. Who's at your table and why? Mm, four people at my table. Okay. Um, the first person that I'm inviting, I would say, is um, Mo Gada. He is, or he was the former, um, I want to say CFO of Google X. Mm -hmm. um, so he's like an expert in AI and, and things like that. But he also is a big advocate for happiness. And mm -hmm. um, I've, over the recent, you know, few months I've been really learning a lot about his work and I think his perspective of um, technology and humanism and how do we how do we make choices now that will cultivate joy and um, fulfillment into the future I would love to just hear him speak about his his thoughts and um, and Kind of this precipice that we're at right now with technology and, and our society and humanity um, um okay another person i would love to have at my dinner table would be um i would say neville goddard he was like a philosopher i guess is the best way to describe it um i want to say in like either late 1800s or like early 1900s um he spoke a lot about um, the power of self-belief and um, the power of your, of course, like your mindset and right. how you perceive the world, essentially creating the world. And so um, I've learned a lot from his teachings of like audiobooks and, and anything that I can find um, over the past few years. And I would love to be able to be around that kind of wisdom and perspective perspective and um, because I think sometimes you know in those challenging life moments we feel like we don't have a choice and that we're kind of like a victim to our situations but um, I'm also a believer in who we are being a reflection um, in, in our world and, and who we're around and the opportunities that flow to us and so I would love to be able to dive more deeply into that with him um, okay another person I would say um, her name is Hitomi um, Mochizuki, and um, she's a wonderful content creator. Um, she's like makes YouTube videos on on mind mindfulness and self love, and um, just has a really beautiful journey of transforming a lot of trauma um, into just a beautiful life that's so grounded in in nature and empowerment through. Um, self-acceptance and I've admired her for so long she's a little bit like closer in age to me so I look to her as like my online like big sister um and I would <laughs> love 
share dinner with her because she's always like cooking the yummiest looking meals and um, just seems like someone who is very present and um, very perceptive. And I think being around that kind of energy would be really inspiring. Um, and lastly, um, I mean, I don't know if everyone says this, but I would love to have dinner with you. Um, I think it would be great to be able to make you some roasted carrots and um, try those pickled beets. Um, but also, of course, just to hear more, I think, about your life experiences and even like outside of all of the success as well. Um, really, I would I would love to hear more about how you see the world and how you've translated that into your forms of expression and, and outlets for building community and, and such. Um, yeah, I think I would be really happy with that dinner well, table. Maybe we can make that happen. <laughs> yes, I would love that. We, we, we can do all things that what we can conceive and believe we can achieve, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's go two for four. What four pieces of music artists are you listening to and why? Um, I've been listening to a lot of Sade lately. Um, I really just need like calming music that's like very slow and um, just nice and like a, a good vibe. I really love her music and it, it's suiting to summer as well. I feel it's just this like gentle but abundant kind of sound. So um, I really love her music. Uh, another artist I love is And you Lucero. know that's the name of the group as well, right? Yes, I know, I know. I figured out that it was a group um, <laughs> a few weeks ago, actually. Because I was like, oh, like she's so great. And they're like, it's a group. I'm like, <laughs> mom, it's a group. But yeah, um, I love their music. Um, another artist I would say is Masego. He's a really talented, I mean, musician of like all sorts of different instruments. Um, and his music, is his sound is really unique but it's also kind of like jazz centric. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would also say this artist, her name is um, Diana Lopez and she makes kind of like folk indie music, but it's really nice. Um, I just appreciate like any easy listening sounds. So um, I think that's three. My yeah. last artist, I would say, I really love this group um, called EXO and they make really great music, um, R&B, but also like electronic pop sort of. Um, it's like really good dancing music and um, I really enjoy that variety, so. That's awesome, because you've taken us from smooth, easy listening with Sade to get up and vibe and dance. Yeah. <laughs> I like your playlist. Thank you, thank you. Let's go three for four. What Four books do you recommend to our family and why? Yes, um, I would recommend True Love by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, this book was my book, my all-time favorite book until the next book, which I'm going to recommend, came along. But um, True Love by Thich Nhat Hanh, super transformative book for me in terms of really developing um, a healthier and more compassionate approach to my emotions and um, any experiences that I was having, being able to really hold them in, in a safe space within myself. And 
it's like a tiny book, but it's it's just packed with such honesty and, and such a really um, gorgeous approach to encouraging people to lean into more um, self-compassion. So I love Thich Nhat Hanh as well. All of his um, teachings have been really transformative for me. Um, I would then, my favorite book right now um, is A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And um, that book really um, transformed my thinking and kind of perception of everything. Um, I think it's, it's really powerful, especially for the times that we're in right now. Um, it's mainly focused on cultivating a state of presence, um, but also kind of leaning into the implications of that and what it means to um, live in a distracted world and to strive for um, awareness essentially. And it really leans into all of the like societal influences that have drastically um, altered what we view as um, healthy or, or acceptable and when we deal with our relationship with ourselves but also others and so that is like a very deep reflective book that um, I really really enjoyed um, then I would say Happy Money by Ken Honda um, he is wonderful and I actually had the honor of meeting him um, earlier this year oh. in, so in January yes and I'm, I'm so happy about this I also met his daughter and now she's a really good friend of mine. So I feel oh. so lucky <laughs> because um, this book was such a, and it, it was a liberating read for me. Um, I read this probably like four years ago, four or five years ago. Um, and it was liberating in the sense that of course there are so many ways that we engage with and view money, um, especially for, you know, it's more likely for groups of us who have been, you know, oppressed or haven't um, really experienced much financial freedom or generational wealth, if any. Um, mm -hmm. And so reframing money as an energy um, that we can respect. And as we are you know, paying for things to have gratitude, the ability to do so, um, be that bills or your meal or um, you know, someone that you've hired for, for something really again, it just really, all of these books lead into mindfulness, but having that awareness of the energy that you're attaching to your money that you receive and that you give. So that's a huge one. And I can, he's, he's a really, really um, inspiring person. Um, okay. And my last book would be uh, Comfortable with Uncertainty by Pima Children, if I'm saying that right. Um, she writes a lot of books like based on kind of, you know, Buddhist practices, but this book specifically, um, I read it during the pandemic and I felt like it was such an important read during that time of just finding ways to accept all of the unknowns that we are constantly, you know, surrounded by and engaging with um, and to be able to find peace in where you are right now and be able to act from that place of power rather than from an anxious state of being. So um, those four, highly recommend. Um, maybe for a wellness read, I would say, um, hmm, Forks Over Knives is a great book. 
Um, How Not to Die is another really great book. That one. And your cookbook. And my book as well. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I could plug it there, but yes, <laughs> Living Lively as well. I, I, I think that would be splendid. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go four for four, Haley. Haley, please share with us what four pieces of advice you think would be really fitting for our family uh, right now. And if you're sharing advice that was given to you, pay homage to the author of that advice. Let us know why in each instance you're offering that now. Um, I'm just going to, I guess, share advice. And I, I think even with advice, right, I, I encourage people to take everything with a grain of salt, of course, of course. Um, I've only been on earth for a limited amount of time so far. So, you know, I'm definitely learning as I go. Um, but I just wanted to share what has been kind of helpful for me um, recently. Um, the first piece of advice, maybe I would say, is to find love for yourself that's rooted in your being and not your doing. Um, I think this is something that I've been transforming um, personally after kind of like, as I had mentioned before, growing up in this context of accomplishment and doing a lot of um, unique things and meeting a lot of incredible people and getting to be on big stages and all of that, I thought, oh my gosh, this is why I love myself because I'm doing so much, um, but being able to love who I am despite what I'm accomplishing, um, I think that has given me more freedom than I could have anticipated. And it's it's still a process of unlearning those kind of patterns for sure. But yeah, just being able to love and accept ourselves um, no matter what we're doing or accomplishing. I think that's one that I would definitely share today. Um, I would also say to give yourself time to grow up, um, like in childhood and beyond, just to be where you are and, and really honor your pace. I think it's um, always important to remember that we're all going at our own pace and whatever that pace is, is, is perfect as long as it feels good to you. Um, so slowing down, speeding up, uh, coasting as you need, that is so important. Um, you know, sometimes, especially when I was younger, I would get these comments that would make me so uncomfortable and feel really bad. Like people would say, oh, you know, when I was your age, like I was just fooling around. I was playing in dirt or whatever, you know, and I would think I just, I, I wish for everyone to be able to honor their pace and where they are and to know that despite the accomplishments of anyone else or where anyone else is, where you are is also perfect and something worth celebrating because we, we get to the places that we are through resilience and, um, you know, something that, that should be admired, just being where we are and getting to where we are today. Um, hmm. Next, I would say, this is also something that I'm learning. So these are really notes to self as well. Um, but I would say to nurture support systems of reciprocity and um, to remember that you also bring value in the relationships that you forge. 
um, I think that it can be very easy for us to undervalue ourselves and what we bring to the table um, when we, you know, are building relationships with people. But um, yeah, remembering that you deserve to feel in return, you know, um, what you want to offer. Um, that's a really, a really big thing. And uh, I think, is that, oh, that's not four. That's, that's three. three. <laughs> um, okay. You're rolling, girl. <laughs> <laughs> these are, honestly, these are just like my most recent journaling topics. So <laughs> it's beautiful, like, beautiful. That's where the truth comes um, from. Hmm. Lastly, I would say, um, let's do a, a wellness one. In, in regards to wellness, I think I would give the advice to make, you know, lifestyle or wellness changes in your life, um, not for the sake of becoming, you know, a certain person through that, but really for the journey and the process of it. I think, for instance, like, let's say you wanted to do a, I don't know, 30 day like yoga challenge or something like that. And I think with wellness, it can be easy to attach ourselves to the identity of someone who does yoga. I'm becoming a, a, a yogi or I'm becoming, you know, someone who, um, eats healthy or, or what or whatnot. I think that our identity can get very much intertwined with um, the choices that we make for our wellness. And so I would just say, again, to root back into the joy, the care that you're providing your body or your mind and um, not to seek identity in everything, right? And to just um, honor that process as you go. I think that's oh, I love that so much. Um, you know, talking with you is as if I'm talking with someone I've known for a while. And while candidly, I have studied who you are and have been so excited to have you be a guest in this podcast. Now I'm even more excited about who you are. And I invite you to be a guest in my personal circle in my life. So mm -hmm. yes, we'll have that dinner together. And thank you so much, Haley. Thank you. That's such such an honor to receive that. Thank you so much. It's um, a blessing to be in your presence and to to be able to share this conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and you know, I I truly do hope for the the platforms and accessibility of, of podcasts like this to reach into people's hearts and their minds and to hopefully inspire them to not only take care of themselves, but also to remember um, that we have limitless potential that we can lean into each and every one of us and that um, there's something really meaningful that we can all contribute to the world, but most importantly to our lives, just through the joy, the peace and the well-being that we can cultivate for ourselves. So thank you so, so much for having me and um, I look forward to more conversations together. Thank you. Let's evolve our relationship mm -hmm. and from my heart to your home. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, family. <laughs>